1: Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. My name is Father Brian Nolan. I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are blessed today to have Father Wade Menesis. Father Wade is the Assistant General of the Fathers of Mercy. He also hosts radio and television programs for EWTN. He's a member of the Fathers of Mercy. Their charism is itinerant preaching. Welcome today. Thank you, Father Brian. Good to be with you today. Tell me more about the Fathers of Mercy,
2: just to give an introduction to our listeners. Sure, sure. We are itinerant missionary preachers. Our main father house is located in Auburn, Kentucky, just north of Nashville by about 50 to 60 miles. Yes. And we are itinerant missionary preachers. We were founded in 1808 by Father Jean Baptiste Rosan, our founder. And we were founded specifically in the aftermath of the French Revolution in the late 1790s in an effort to bring back the lay Catholic faithful to practicing their Catholic faith following the havoc and destruction that the French Revolution blew there to the people and their faith. And so the original Fathers of Mercy were a small mission band of about seven diocesan priests from different dioceses throughout France and archdioceses, but they had such success that the Bishop of Lyon, France, asked Father Roson to keep the mission band going, and Father Roson at that point was already having inspirations to maybe found a community to continue on this work. So Divine Providence, acting how it acts, brought things into a nice uh, coalescing to where the Fathers of Mercy were founded. That's incredible. And you have a
1: special catechetical ministry that has been a great gift, especially internationally through EWTN. Tell me about the inspiration to become involved in that, and what drew you and attracted you to be involved in
2: that particular important ministry of the church? Sure. Well, the Fathers of Mercy, we are catechetical preachers. A lot of our preaching springboards right from the catechism. We we preach the, the basic truths of the faith, the sanctification of marriage and family life, the seven sacraments, the growth in virtue, and so forth, just the basics of the faith, doctrinal and moral teachings of the faith. And we springboard from the catechism, as I said. And whether it be a week-long parish mission, which is our most popular event, or whether it be a weekend event, and a weekend event could be a Friday through a Sunday, it could be a Saturday through Sunday, or it could be just a day-long event, like maybe a men's conference on a Saturday at a given parish. We preach the whole the whole gamut if you will of of different types of events but we always preach from a catechetical springboard and we cater to the need of the group whether it's a pastor of a parish calling us in for a week-long parish mission whether it be a lay group calling us in for a women's conference or a men's conference, a father-son retreat, mother-daughter retreat, etc. So we cater to the need. Now, what drew me personally to the Fathers of Mercy and our preaching apostolate is I come from a very strong secular background in journalism, both print and broadcast. That was my bachelor's degree and master's degree and my secular degrees in college. And I actually started researching when I started discerning the priesthood, started discerning specifically media orders, But to be honest with you, I was kind of disheartened concerning the lack of orthodoxy in some of the media orders of men that were out there. So I had a wonderful spiritual director. He was a diocesan priest at the time. Now he's a member of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter. But he was a diocesan priest at the time, and he actually guided me. He says, you know, if you're kind of disheartened by what's out there with the media orders, why don't you look at some of the preaching orders? Well, because preaching and media, and this was in the early 90s, this was with the dawn of, sure. of emails, the emails came before internet, <laughs> and uh, he he had foresight, and he was telling me, you know, media is constantly changing, as you know, and he says, I believe you would be able to marry your love of media with your interest in preaching. And at the time also, remember, now St. John Paul II was talking a lot about the new evangelization, quote unquote, meeting people where they're at with modern means of communications, the the, the truth, that the truths of the faith are timeless, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that these are the main thrusts of the new evangelization. So I started researching preaching orders, and coming from a a strong agricultural background, I found this little community of preachers in the heart of beef country in Kentucky, <laughs> yeah, sure. and I went and visited them twice. And long story short, the Fathers of Mercy were the first community I visited, the only community I submitted application to, and the only community I was accepted to. And once I once I entered the community, there was no looking back. I was already in my mid to latter twenties, and I was ready to establish my life and get grounded. You know, I, I like to talk about the the masculine virtue of of settlement of of being grounded men are called to be grounded and rooted in something so so are women but men in a special way as protectors defenders providers and we have a theology of groundedness about us or rootedness about it and at that age you know 26 going to be 27 i was ready to be grounded so once i was accepted the fathers of mercy i just immersed myself in the charism of mercy the charism of catechetical preaching the love of speaking i delved into more something i always liked but i couldn't say i loved it but one thing led to another, and it was a perfect fit. Wow, well, that sense of being
1: rooted in the timeless
2: teachings of the Catholic
1: faith—I think it's—it's it's very attractive to people when there's when when as a society foundations are being torn down. And that's right, uh, especially Catholic Church has, has been calling to mind. Here are timeless teachings. Yeah, these are things that are unchangeable teachings, and the depth of that. In fact, I, I know recently this past year you wrote a book on the four last things: a catechal guide to death, judgment. Heaven and hell. Right. It is interesting. We talk about the four last things. Those are things that, amidst everything out there, very few people are thinking about these things. What, what draw you to say, I want to write a book to help sh- uh, share and
2: teach these truths? That's a great question. You know, the book itself, which is available from ewtnrc.com or ewtnreligiouscatalog.com, and also from Sophia Institute Press. It can be purchased online at either organization. The book itself springboarded from a television series I did for EWTN titled The Four Last Things, Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. And what inspired me to do the TV series was I just felt it was a topic of the church that was hardly ever spoken about anymore, Uh, not only amongst clerics, but also amongst laity. But in giving that television series live in parishes as part of a five-night parish mission program, I became very disconcerted on how many Catholics I met who believed that purgatory was automatic. There was no way to avoid purgatory. And I thought to myself, my gosh, this is this is really sad. Now, granted, the holy souls in purgatory are assured heaven. That being said, going to purgatory is not God's plan A for us. You can call it his plan B for us if, if you want to, because again, the holy souls are assured heaven. But God's plan A for us is to go straight to heaven when we die. And after meeting so many Catholics in my active parish mission preaching, giving the television series live at parishes in a five night format, I just said, you know what, I've gotta go deeper into this subject of the church's eschatology. When we talk about the church's eschatology, we're talking about the study of the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. It comes from the Greek word eschaton, which means the last. So we talk about studying the church's Mariology, the study of the Blessed Virgin. We might talk about theology, the study of God in general. We might talk about the church's ecclesiology, the study of the church founded on the Rock of Peter. Well, when we talk about the eschatology of the church, we're talking about the four last things, the doctrine of death, judgment, heaven, and hell, collectively, three of which will apply to each one of us personally, whether we want it to or not, (laughs) whether we want them to or not, death, judgment, heaven or hell because it's impossible for the soul to go both to heaven and to hell purgatory is not considered one of the four last things and it never has been because again the holy souls in purgatory are assured heaven well purgatory is about one thing and one thing only the need to atone for temporal punishment that the person still needs to atone for for already forgiven mortal and venial sin, mortal sin forgiven in the sacrament of penance, venial sin forgiven either in the sacrament of penance or through other means like making a good act of contrition, the penitential rite at mass, carrying out any one of the three eminent good works, prayer, fasting, or almsgiving with the intention of atoning for venial sin, or any one of the 14 works of mercy, the seven corporal works of mercy for the body, the seven spiritual works of mercy for the soul, carrying out any combination of those 14 works of mercy with the intention of atoning for venial sin. My point is there's other ways that venial sins can be forgiven. You're welcome to take them to the confessional, but you don't have to. Mortal sin needs the sacrament of penance. So, purgatory is about one thing and one thing only. The need to atone for temporal punishment for sins that have already been forgiven either through the sacrament of penance or other means. In other words, if you have atoned for your temporal punishment at the time of your earthly death, for already forgiven mortal or venial sins, there's no need to go to purgatory. And that is God's plan A for us. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Universal Catechism is very clear that one can enter heaven either immediately, which is listed first in the Catechism, or in a delayed manner following purgatory, if at the time of their earthly death the temporal punishment has not yet been atoned for, fulfilled. Could I pause here?
1: Our listeners, we also have uh, those who are Christian and really either don't believe in purgatory. And let's begin our next segment just talking about that. Why do Catholics believe about purgatory specifically? And what are the uh, scriptural origins of, sure. of, of these? So we'll begin that. I'm Father Brian Nolan. I'm here with Father Wade Menesis uh, for Catholic Baltimore. We'll be
3: right back. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world from the Catholic Review. Peer ministers at Christo Rey Jesuit High School begin each school year with a fall retreat to introduce the newest members so they can bond, become friends, and learn to work together, according to Christine Gallagher, Director of Campus Ministry. Last fall, that retreat took place during an overnight lock-in at the Fells Point School. The next one, however, will take place off-site thanks to a $2,000 grant from the Mark D. Passione Foundation. Getting students outside of the city to really retreat from the school environment and the busyness of the city is the ideal thing for them, Gallagher said. The Passione Foundation carries on the legacy of Mark Passione, an innovator in ministering to young members of the Catholic Church who headed the Archdiocese of Baltimore's Division of Youth and Young Adult Ministry from the mid-1980s until 2009. He was also instrumental in the planning of World Youth Day in Denver in 1993. Passion was 60 when he died unexpectedly December 29, 2014. Four Catholic Relief Service staff members on their way to a training session in Nairobi, Kenya were among the passengers aboard an Ethiopian Airlines flight that crashed moments after takeoff in the East African nation. The accident, March tenth, claimed the lives of 157 people on board, many of them from humanitarian agencies. Pope Francis offered prayers for the passengers from 35 countries in a telegram March 11th. Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lori also expressed his condolences. CRS is headquartered in Baltimore. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Christopher Gunty.
4: Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV?
5: Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic
0: Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM.
1: Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. My name is Father Brian Nolan. We're in the second segment with Father Wade Menesis. He's the Assistant General of the Fathers of Mercy, also a radio and television host for EWTN. Welcome back, Father Wade. Thank you, Father Brian. Good to be with you. Father Wade, one of the things that I think people would find fascinating is the Catholic Church is probably the most articulate about the fullness of the teachings of what happens when a person dies. Can you speak to that? Sure.
2: The Church teaches that death takes place upon separation of the soul from the body. Secularists, or those in the medical field, would call this clinical death. The official definition of clinical death is a complete expiring of the body. We would say, as Catholic Christians, it's the soul upon leading the body. This is why, for example, uh, we teach that you can still give the last rites if the body is still warm. Uh, We know that judgment takes place immediately after death, but we don't know when the soul leaves the body immediately after death. So the church teaches that as long as the body is warm, you can still give the last rites, one of the seven sacraments, which includes the anointing of the sick, which wouldn't include that particular facet of the last rites because the person is no longer sick, they're deceased. But we believe that the judgment then takes place and that the soul will either enter into heaven immediately or in a delayed fashion by going to purgatory first or, if it dies in a state of mortal sin, by its own choosing, will enter into hell." Yes, and, and we'll come back to those in, in
1: a little bit, but let's go back to what we were talking about before. There are many Christians that say, you're either going to heaven or hell. This idea of purgatory sounds like made up, or some would say it's not scriptural. Well, right. would, how would you respond to that?
2: It's very scriptural, and it's the Catholic Christian patrimony, especially from the writings of the Church Fathers of the first seven centuries, what we call the Patristic Age. In their exegesis of the Old Testament, for example, in 2 in Maccabees, David and his troops, we learned that it is a holy and pious practice to pray for the dead. The dead soldiers is the ones they were referring to. Well, why would you pray for the dead if they went to hell? Because the prayers aren't going to assist them. Why would you pray for the dead if they went directly to heaven? They have no need of our prayers. We're asking those in heaven to pray for us. Quite the opposite. And and some people would
1: say, well, that's that's in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? When Jesus came, he says there are some
2: scriptures that they would quote that says that they are with the Lord. Yeah, they are with the Lord, and with, if you are in purgatory, you are with the Lord in a sense because you're assured heaven. The holy souls in purgatory, according to Catholic doctrine, are not going to hell. It's interesting that most of the New Testament passages come from Jesus himself within the four gospels that defend purgatory. Lazarus and the rich man, there is a great chasm between you and I, we're told in that gospel, and you will not receive your refreshment until you have been one who has been released from the area before the chasm. Okay, between Lazarus and the rich man. Also, we read Jesus saying that one will not be released from the fires of Gehenna uh, until one is paid the last penny. And Gehenna can be applied to either hell, strictly speaking, or a purgation fire that we're told from the writings of the Church Fathers that purgatory is a type of, a type of purgation. The flames of purgatory has often been applied to that as a visual, a visual means. So these are some of the, the New Testament passages coming from Jesus himself talking about the fact that one cannot enter into heaven in a definitive fashion unless one is first in a pristine state. Some of the church fathers talked about purgatory being the anteroom, the vestibule of heaven. Before you enter the actual church, the beauty of heaven, you first enter the vestibule of the church. Purgatory is described as a very merciful doctrine. How many people die in an absolute pristine state at the time of their death? If I die, let's say for an example, having never reconciled with my brother-in-law, and he had, he and I had a five-year falling out and we never amended after those within those five years or at the time of my death we still had not amended our parting is that dying in a pristine state I think human rationality would tell you no you didn't die pristine it would be more of a pristine state to have died expired your earthly life having been reconciled with your brother Jesus says that as well in the Gospels if you have something to bring to the altar but yet you are still in conflict with your brother, leave your gift at the altar until you are reconciled with your brother first. So it's these passages from our Lord himself that are leading us to a life of perfection, a life of wanting to live eternity-minded. I remember we were talking a little bit earlier about this, to say
1: the passage says, nothing unclean can enter heaven. And sometimes we forget that the reality of sin damages the soul, it wounds the soul. That's as right. St. Paul talks about that, where he talks about also that some will be saved as if through fire. Right, exactly. In whatever foundation you build on in, in, in the in the first letter of the Corinthians, that's one of the images of, the
2: of purgatory as a fire of purgation. In yes. fact, so that's a that's a great one to bring up. Also, we know that there is a difference between sin that is deadly and sin that is not deadly. The New Testament tells us so. This is our distinction between mortal sin and venial sin. Mortal sin has three components to it: grave matter, done with fullness of knowledge and done with deliberate consent of your will. Grave matter, it seriously contravenes God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, the the Decalogue. Uh, Fullness of knowledge, you have fullness of knowledge that it contravenes God's moral law, and seriously so, before you do it. And number three, you do it with deliberate consent of your will anyway. So, grave matter, fullness of knowledge, that it's grave matter before you do it, and deliberate consent of your will while you're doing it now there are inhibitors okay if someone commits adultery while in a drunken state their fullness of will is not engaged so what's objectively a mortal sin adultery might be subjectively venial in this state because of their drunkenness in this case this particular case the greater sin is letting yourself being allowed to get into a drunken state. That's the greater sin in that case. So the church is teaching that all three of those have to be present for mortal sin and if any one of them is missing it's a venial sin. Can you speak to, just want to touch I hate to say briefly on it but time
1: permitting, a lot of people have a problem with the fact that God could send anyone to hell. How would you speak to that and then speak also to something in your research about heaven that really struck you as you
2: uh, wrote your book? I like those individuals have a have a very big problem as well that God could send someone to hell and that's precisely because God sends no one to hell Uh, it is one's own doing one's own choosing to go to hell by unrepentant mortal sin there are four paragraphs in the catechism, and of course there's each paragraph is numbered. This is in the 1030s, 1033, 1035, 1037, and I believe 1039 is the fourth one, where we are told very clearly that an unrepentant mortal sin is required to send one to hell. And persistence in that mortal sin till one's death on earth having never repented for that mortal sin. So one goes to hell by their own choosing, by their own rational choosing, willfully choosing to not want to go to heaven, to die in this unrepentant state. Well, tell me
1: about when you were doing your research on heaven as well. Yeah, what stuck? What sticks out to you? What scriptural imagery or, or thing that really you think people haven't heard enough about, or or just to increase their longing for living in life in light of eternity.
2: You know, the the, the the church fathers have always used Paul's verse: "Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even dawned on the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love Him," and. Heaven for all eternity, what the Church Fathers called the beatific vision, eternal beatitude, eternal communion with God and with neighbor in love. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, we're told in the New Testament. Why? Well, faith is not needed because the object of faith is had in heaven, God. So faith is not needed in heaven. Hope is not needed in heaven because the object of, of hope, God, is obtained in heaven, you've attained it. But will there be love in heaven? Oh yeah, there will be love in heaven. Even though God is love, we are holding God, we are beholding God, we have him for all eternity, so love exists and it's precisely because God is love. And this is why love is the queen of the virtues, charity is the queen of the three theological virtues while still living on earth, because it's the one that will still be had even in heaven, but faith and hope will not be. So love towards neighbor, love towards God, That's basically the Ten Commandments. The first three of the Ten Commandments have to do with love of God. The remaining seven of the Ten Commandments have to do with love of neighbor. Uh, This is the greatest virtue that we can practice here on Earth while still living. I
1: read some of the reviews of of your book on on Amazon Review. It said everything from, this book is a no-nonsense, simple catechetical teaching of what the Catholic Church teaches about the reality of the four last things. It's also a warning to repent and change. This person said, I'm approaching 65 this year. For the last three years, they highly recommend it. Others said, short and concise and easy read, good spiritual reading for Lent. That Others said, you're a gifted writer, clear and concise, inspiring. What would you say to readers of the benefit of buying your book to meditate on as spiritual reading for
2: Lent? I want my book, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell, to lead them to be, even beyond Lent, to lead them to be eternity-minded in their daily living. Not to have a morose, morbid focus on death. That's not what I mean by eternity-minded. I mean living your vocation to the full. Whether single, married, or a consecrated priest, brother or sister, doctor, farmer, lawyer, homeschooling mother of six, a divorced dad of four, striving to live a chaste life, Live your daily life and your daily vocation with an eternal view to heaven, the greatness you're called to, that God wants to give you for all eternity, a glimpse of is meant to be had right now. And I think it's fascinating, like you said,
1: to live in light of eternity, that if anything, people nowadays don't even think about death. In fact, they ignore death. Right. But this allows us to be to fresh and live in light of God's grace and light of eternity, and those are the things that matter. Our guest today has been Father Wade Menesis. What a great blessing to have you today. I know you gave a parish mission at St. Joe's in Fullerton a few weeks ago. Yes. So maybe you'll come back to the Archdiocese of Baltimore, but what a great blessing to have you. Thank you, Father Brian. Thank and you for having me today. Many blessings on your ministry. Thank you. I'm Father Brian Nolan for Catholic Baltimore. May God bless you.